Well, we're going to do some things a little different tonight because we're participating in a sense with the call to solidarity that, um, that was given throughout the Jewish world for this Shabbat to invite people to stand together in unity and in comfort with Tree of Life congregation in Pittsburgh and their family of congregations that meets in their synagogue that suffered so greatly uh, last Shabbat during the time of um, right before when our Shabbat service begins. As you know, um, a, a, a terrible evil happened. And so this is a, a Shabbat of solidarity all over the United States. And we are standing together with, uh, with the congregation there that suffered the, the murder, the heinous murder of 11 members of their congregation who were gathered in a room uh, as we are today, worshiping the Lord on, on Shabbat. So it's, it's an important time for us, and I just want to recall some of the facts. It was last Saturday that a lone gunman entered the Tree of Life Synagogue in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood of Pittsburgh, a traditionally uh, Jewish center of life in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And he shot and killed 11 Jewish people he declared before that his intention was to kill Jews that day, and he did. And this act of violent anti-Semitism is perhaps the worst act of violent anti-Semitism in American history. There are many, many instances of anti-Semitism, some of which we're, we're too familiar with and we're even hardened in a sense, but typically, um, swastikas spray-painted as graffiti at Jewish cemeteries or Jewish houses of worship or uh, terrible anti-Semitic statements and slurs spray-painted as graffiti or letters distributed, things like that. Words meant to harm and to put fear into people, but this was far beyond the... It was perhaps the, the worst act of violent anti-Semitism in our history and one of the worst acts of terrorism in modern American history. So we're gathering together and one of our purposes is, is to mourn together and another is to pay our respects, to show that, that we care about these lives that were lost and to give and to receive solace and comfort from one another. There is a fear that has overtaken many people under such circumstances. Whenever there is violence of this kind, many people think that we must just harden, harden ourselves into a fortress and make it impossible for anyone to get in. But our community is a welcoming community. And our message is a message of good news to those who are in trouble. And so we trust the Lord to protect us. We trust the Lord uh, to give us wisdom as well so that we can take reasonable precautions and do things that 
um, are wise to do, but ultimately we know this, after we've done those things, we still trust in the Lord, and we still look to the Lord for comfort. And so we're gathering together also so that we can come before God together and we can mourn before him and we can receive from the Holy One of Israel, the, the Redeemer and our Comforter. It's important to understand this is not just a human endeavor that we engage in. Many of us went to the Vigil for Solidarity on Monday night at uh, Temple Havat Chesed here in Jacksonville. And it was uh, an important time for people to gather together and, and to begin to mourn and to begin to um, seek together for right responses. It's important for us as a Messianic community to continue in our distinctive way, which is to, to seek after the Lord and to come close to the Lord in this day and to understand it's not just the power that we have when we come together as people, but the power that we have when we come together as people with God. And when we seek his face, when we mourn together as Yeshua taught us, then we will receive comfort. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. And so we also must come with humility before God because we need to examine ourselves in a number of ways in order to find any hatred or violence within us that needs cleansing and healing. And we have to humble ourselves before God. We're living in a hate-filled world. And in the times that we're living in, it seems that Hate is becoming very popular when it's mixed with political rhetoric. And we have to be very careful ourselves to, to distance ourselves from any who want to dehumanize other people who were made in the image of God. We have to be careful to, to think of even those who disagree with us or oppose us as yet people who carry the image of God and have something that God has entrusted to them that we also need and we value. I was talking with my wife this week about how to think about such things. And one of the insights that she had really, really touched me. It was an insight about the children of Israel regarding Egypt. At the time of Jacob and his sons, the, the sons of Israel, when they were living in the land of promise, they had an attitude about Egypt, which is Egypt is alien, Egypt is, is dangerous, Egypt is something that we reject. We don't want to get close to Egypt and we don't want Egypt to get close to us. And so the Jewish people during that time kept their distance from Egypt. But it turned out that there was a moment when Egypt had food and Israel did not. And that what had been unthinkable became necessary and representatives of Israel went to Egypt to purchase food for the famine, not knowing that Joseph, one of their brothers, was already there. And the one who they despised 
was actually in the position of power and had a solution for them. During that time, not only did the children of Israel get food, but they also found a longer-term place to be preserved. And this part is, is interesting if you know the Bible. You know that the Scripture teaches that, that Abraham had been prepared for this and given a prophetic word that the children of Israel couldn't stay in the Promised Land because the iniquity of the people in that land had not been uh, brought to fullness and completion. It was going to get worse and worse, and the children of Israel would not have been able to survive in that wickedness. And so God's plan was to bring them to Egypt, and he used the famine as the way to do it. And they came to Egypt, which was a polytheistic place, a pagan place, that in a sense was anti-Messiah because they believed that their pharaohs were God incarnate. And it was there that Israel was preserved. Now the amazing thing is Egypt needed Israel. And Israel needed Egypt. And both of them rejected the other because they saw them as alien and unlike themselves. And so we learn that God has solutions sometimes that are shocking to our sensibilities and even to our religiosity. And he uses people who are not correct regarding God to do things that are correct regarding God. It's a challenging idea. And from that, we can learn something. This is what Sandy was saying. From that, we can learn something. This country is divided roughly equally right and left, roughly equally extreme right and extreme left. And many people think if we could get just 1% more, we could get our agenda done. We could accomplish everything we want. Because if we could swing it to 51%, that's all we need. But you know what that ignores? It ignores the fact that we need each other. And if we think that the other has nothing that we need, we're making a big mistake. Liberals need conservatives. Conservatives need liberals. It's the truth. In order to forge stronger solutions for complicated problems. And in order to find solutions that can touch more people. So at a time like this, I think we have to be careful. We have to be careful about how we think. And not just how we judge those who commit evil, but how we judge ourselves. It's it's a time to humble ourselves before God. And to acknowledge that we absolutely need his help if we're going to heal in the measure that we need. The justice that we seek, for instance, requires that we humble ourselves before God. We must mourn in order to cleanse our hearts with God's help and his comfort. And in this way, 
We don't allow our anger to corrupt us or to distort us. We don't want to give in to tribal vengeance. We don't want to give in to injustice. And it's necessary that we not allow our anger to undermine the process of justice. We want justice. We need justice. But we don't need revenge. Personally, I'm glad that the death penalty is being sought for the one who committed these terrible murders. The state and the federal courts have their deliberate processes regarding that. I know more about the Florida rules about the death penalty. I don't know almost anything. I know nothing about the Pennsylvania rules or the federal rules but no doubt it will take some time. And perhaps even years before there would be uh, a final consummation of a sentence if it's a, if it's a death sentence. And there will be reviews and, and so forth as is necessary. And that's how it should be because what we're looking for, remember, is not just how, how is justice done in this case, but how is justice promoted in our society? And we don't want to give in to, to vigilante substitutes for justice. We don't want to, uh, to become so filled with anger, mixed with fear and insecurity, that we forget what can make this nation strong. It's a commitment to justice. And in this way, it's important for us to stand together. The loss touches us all, and we're appalled by this evil act of violent anti-Semitism. It's not just anti-Semitism. It was violent anti-Semitism. It wasn't just an act of terror. It was an act of terror against Jews. It's, it's, it's multiplied, I think, in its, in its weight and its significance because... It was elderly people who were targeted. And to attack the elderly is such a great evil in and of itself. But then they were targeted as well on Shabbat, at a synagogue during a service. And each one of those details multiplies the intensity of evil, I think. We're appalled and we're grieved and we feel vulnerable. As Jews and those joined to Jews, we feel vulnerable as those who are part of the Jewish community. The murder of the Tree of Life 11 could produce even worse effects if it sends people like us into hiding. If we give in to fear, if we say, you know what, it's too dangerous. If we're scared into silence and invisibility, it'll, it'll be terrible. If this multiplies into general fear among those who gather uh, as people of faith in their houses of worship and people start saying, I don't want to go I don't want to go worship with other people because I'm afraid this could happen then the adversary of God will have had an even greater victory. 
And so it's important for us not to give in to that fear. It's important for us to be strong. So we mourn, but we don't surrender. And we will not retreat as our adversaries may wish. When Sandy and I were living in Budapest and we were doing outreaches in the city, Messianic Jewish outreaches for Jewish people and for anyone else who wanted to come, but we were warned by leaders in the Jewish community, don't do this because if you're public about being Jewish, it will cause the anti-Semites to react and they'll make it terrible for the rest of us. And our response was, we're not afraid of the anti-Semites. We're not afraid of being public. And so we did it anyway. And then when Chabad wanted to have a Hanukkah event in public, they said the same thing to them. So it wasn't just because we were messianic. The Chabadniks got the same message, which is, don't you dare do a public event like this. It will cause anti-Semitism to increase. Well, my understanding is this. Anti-Semitism increases when Jewish people are more afraid. And when we go into hiding, and when we think that we can find a fortress to save ourselves, where no one can see us, and we have to learn not to give in to that. That's not the spirit that God gives those of us who follow Messiah Yeshua. God has not given us a spirit of fear. We have to understand that, and we can't accept a spirit of fear. So we won't retreat as our adversaries may wish. Sadly, even during these days, some in the Jewish community wish that Messianic Jews would just disappear. We won't, for the same reasons. And it's sad for me, I can say, to see Reformed Jews really angry about Messianic Jews as if we're pretending to be Jews. At the very same time that Orthodox Jews in Israel are saying Reformed Jews are pretending to be Jews. And at the same time that the president of Israel couldn't even call um, Tree of Life Synagogue a synagogue because it wasn't orthodox. And so he, he couldn't get those words out of his mouth. And he used what one Jewish commentator called verbal acrobatics to describe it as a center of Jewish life where this happened. Because he couldn't say synagogue. Because conservative Judaism in his view wasn't Judaism. So rejection doesn't really bother me. It shouldn't bother you. If it does, get over it. <laughs> if, as someone who grew up in the South, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, as a minority, I mean, we just learned you have to deal with rejection and you can't let it rule over you. You have to do your best and learn how to be sarcastic 
That's, I mean, that's what we learned. Yeah, how to use a sense of fear. It's not always the best thing, but it's better than nothing. Well, in, in our case, we welcome others to join us and to experience the love of God and the warmth of community and to discover the grace and the mercy of the life of faith that is actually centered on the Holy One of Israel, Messiah Yeshua. And tonight we wanna pay our respects to those who were murdered. And sadly, several Holocaust survivors were among those who were murdered. So they survived Hitler and then they were killed by an American anti-Semite. We're going to put the mourner's Kaddish on the screen. It's also available in your siddur. But I wanna ask you to stand with me. And before we say the mourner's Kaddish together in their honor, I want to call out their names and the year in which they were born and ask you to repeat with me, repeat after me, the names of each one. Because these are not just nameless people, these are individuals who were killed, who were murdered. Rose Mallinger. She was 97 years old. Melvin Wax. He was 88. Bernice and Sylvan Simon. Simon. He was 84, she was 86. Joyce Feinberg. Feinberg. She was 75. Daniel Stein. Stein. He was 71. (coughs) Irving Younger. Younger. He was 69. Jerry Rabinovitz. 66 years old. Richard Gottfried. Richard Gottfried. He was 65. Cecil Rosenthal. Cecil Rosenthal. He was 59. And David Rosenthal. David Rosenthal. He was 54. So let's join together and we'll say the Mourner's Kaddish in English first. Magnified and sanctified be his great name in the world which he has created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom during your life and during your days and during the life of the whole house of Israel, even swiftly and soon, and say, Amen. Let his great name be blessed forever and to all eternity. Blessed, praised, and glorified, exalted, extolled, and honored, magnified and lauded, be the name of the Holy One, blessed is He. Though He be high above all the blessings and songs, praises and consolations which are uttered in the world, and say, Amen. May He who makes peace in His high places Make peace upon us and upon all Israel and say, Amen. Yitkadal v'yitkada shamei rabah, v'yalamad divrach yiruteh, v'yamlich malchuteh, b'chayechon uv'yomechon uv'chayeh d'chol b'et Yisrael. 
Ba'agala uvizman kariv v'imaru. Amen. Yehesh me rava mevarach le'alam olome omaya. Yitbarach v'yishtabach v'yitpa'ar v'yitromam v'yitnaseh v'yitadar v'yitalel v'yitalal sh'medekadasha b'richu. Le'alam min kol berchata v'shirata tushbachata v'nechamata Damiran Belama Vimaru Amen. O se shalom bimromav, hu ya ase shalom alenu, veal kol Yisrael vimaru. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you are the author and the finisher of life, that you are the one who resurrects the dead, that you keep faithful with those who have put their trust in you. We pray that you would pour out your mercies and your comfort, your grace, your courage, your hope upon the families of those who, who lost loved ones, upon the entire congregation of Tree of Life, upon the related congregations that meet together there, upon the entire Jewish community of Pittsburgh and all those of goodwill in Pittsburgh. And we pray, Lord, for our community, we pray for our congregation. We pray for the community of Jewish people and those joined with the Jewish people here in Jacksonville and throughout the land. And we ask for mercy. We ask for comfort. We pray, Lord, that you would, you would turn this upside down and bring something good out of this terrible, evil thing. And we ask that you would use us for good that we might be a blessing to those who find themselves in trouble and sorrow. And that you would use us who receive comfort from you to bring comfort to them. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. You may be seated. Two others who were worshiping were wounded but not killed as well. We want to honor the officers who courageously put themselves in harm's way and were wounded. And I think it's appropriate as we recall their names that we stand in, in honor of them too and remember them. So, sorry for telling you you could sit down. <laughs> but let's re repeat the names of each of these officers. Daniel Mead. Daniel. Michael Smidga. Anthony Burke, Anthony Burke and Timothy Matson. These men were injured by gunfire as they attempted to stop the shooter at the synagogue. And then there were two more officers who were injured during, um, during this time. John Pearson, John Pearson. and Tyler Pachelle. John Pearson suffered a hearing injury and Tyler Pachelle, Officer Pachelle injured his knee during the incident. You can, you can be seated. One week from tonight, November 9th, will be the 80th anniversary of Kristallnacht. And I want to read to you um, 
a, a short article called The Echoes of Kristallnacht that was written by Emily Booter um, and published by Atlantic Magazine. Just before midnight on November 9th, 1938, the Gestapo chief, Heinrich Müller, sent a telegram to every police unit in Nazi Germany. In shortest order, it read, actions against Jews and especially their synagogues will take place in all of Germany. These are not to be interfered with. Firefighters stood by as synagogues and Jewish-owned homes, schools, and businesses burned to the ground. Within a day, 91 Jews had been murdered and between 20 and 30,000 arrested and sent to concentration camps. Imagine what might have happened if upon receiving this notice, normal men and normal women stood up and said, this is impossible. We will not stand by. We will do our responsibilities before God and man and we will defend. Imagine, when normal people don't do normal things in the face of terrible evil, the evil has all the victory. That's my commentary. Kristallnacht changed everything, says Dr. Ruth Westheimer, one of the nonagenarian Holocaust survivors interviewed in a new short documentary from the Leo Beck Institute. Indeed, the pogrom, which occurred 80 years ago next week, is widely considered by historians to be the inflection point of the Third Reich, when persecution of German Jews sharply escalated to violence, incarceration, and murder. In the film, the interview subjects recalled these experiences in Weimar, Germany, in the early days of the Nazi regime. Many escaped by the Kinder Transport Program, Others were lucky enough to obtain visas through well-connected family members or friends in America. America did not exactly make it easy, remembers one woman interviewed in the film. That's a myth, the open arms of the Statue of Liberty. It wasn't true then. And she says it's not even true now. Despite the efforts made by immigrants and international aid organizations through 1938, said William H. Weitzer, the executive director of the Leo Beck Institute, nobody wanted to accept the German Jewish refugees. Weitzer said his organization is attuned to similarities and differences between historical events such as the night of broken glass and now. For those we interviewed, Germany of the early 30s was a model for rule of law. In spite of that, he said, they saw the collapse of the democratic system. He views firsthand narratives such as the 1938 Project short, short film to be powerful tools. They teach us that we, like the generations before, do not know what will happen next. So I share these things with us so that we can more fully enter in and understand and we can also prepare ourselves to be courageous and bold in the face of whatever challenges 
that present themselves. Whatever kind of evil, whether it's, it's liberal anti-Semitism or conservative anti-Semitism, whether it's violent or verbal anti-Semitism, whether it's anti-Semitism against Messianic Jews, against secular Jews or whatever, that we would prepare ourselves and know how to stand up and, and how to be prepared. As well, I, I wanna share with you what we plan to do here at the synagogue. Um, we are taking reasonable precautions and it's important to understand that we are not aware of any escalation of threat uh, anywhere in the United States. So this incident, as heinous as it was, is not um, understood as a signal of other actions. It's important to know that so that we don't overreact and we don't escalate because it's one thing to take reasonable precautions, it's another thing to imagine everything that can go wrong, especially if you're inclined to that. So I wanna update you on some of the steps we're taking in order to strengthen our safety and security here at the synagogue. And we've been working on this over many months and even over several years. So, um, first of all, we try to pay attention to what the threat level is, and as I said, there's not uh, any clear indication of an increase in the threat level at this point. So we're, we're taking reasonable precautions, but we're not exaggerating those. So I wanna go through these. First of all, we've hired uh, JSO officers many times in the past, and we've made the decision to have a JSO officer here at the synagogue for every Shabbat service, Friday and Saturday, for this foreseeable future. And um, as before, the officers will be in uniform and they will be armed and they'll park their police car in a visible place uh, near our entrance. And that is precautionary, but we appreciate how faithfully these JSO officers have served us in times past and how kind they've been to us. And so I encourage you, greet them and get to know them and, um, and thank them as well for their service. Now this is going to cost us $1,200 extra per month in order to provide this service. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a few minutes and how we can all pitch in. So the second thing is we are going to be working with first responders to establish safety plans for the synagogue for a variety of uh, kinds of situations that are normal to face. You may remember safety drills from grade school you know, where the fire alarm goes off and then you have to follow the teachers outside and go where you're supposed to go. And we will, with the help of the fire department and other emergency folk, we will organize not just the plan, but we will have safety drills during some of our Shabbat services. Uh, 
especially some when we have Shabbat school with children on Saturdays. Now, we're not gonna shock you. We're gonna tell you when we're going to do it so everybody will be prepared. And um, we'll let you know. And then when these do take place, we want to we want to learn how to do what we're supposed to do, where we're supposed to go, etc. And we want to do it in a way that includes the children and the teachers in the Shabbat school program, as well as the parents in the whole process. And we're thinking about, you know, how this is useful for a fire drill. It's useful for a, a bomb scare. It's useful for any kind of natural or man-made emergency or something happening nearby that would require an orderly evacuation out of the building. If, if a gas truck overturned on I-95, just, you know, right out there, uh, it could require evacuation as an example. And so this is not only because of Pittsburgh, it's like we really need to have a good uh, safety plan that involves evacuation. And, and we're hoping that these practice drills will help us know where to muster outside, number one. And two, we'll, we'll develop in us the practice that builds our confidence so that parents know where, where they're gonna meet their children and that the children will be brought with the parents in the right way to the right places. The emergency exits for the children's areas are different than the emergency exits, obviously, for the sanctuary. So we have to have plans, and we will, that reunite parents and children so that moms and dads are not running helter-skelter or worrying or ignoring directions. So that's one thing. The other thing is, because we live in Florida, we have to have a plan about how to hunker down. Because we could have tornado warnings, the hurricane warnings are usually much further in advance, but we're in an area where we could get hurricane warnings and we have to learn where do you go? You don't go outside and you don't stay in a glass uh, filled room. And so we have plenty of safe spaces, windowless rooms, but we have to develop plans. So you can understand we got some work to do, right? And we're gonna need your help for that. And the third thing is we're, we're working with safety professionals, including Homeland Security and JSO and others to assess other steps that we should take and to develop more details of our plan. The fourth thing is we've worked closely with the Jacksonville Fire Department. And I wanna tell you, we are in compliance with all recommended safety requirements for a building of this size at full capacity. So we have regular inspections, we're in full compliance, we don't cut any corners, we have a full sprinkler system, we have uh, regularly inspected fire extinguishers, and what I wanna point out to you is we have lots of emergency exits, and look at where they are. They're, they're all lighted with a red emergency exit sign, and I just wanna tell you, having been at um, some other synagogues, we are really in good shape when it comes to emergency exits. And um, we're, we're in such good shape, but I wanna encourage you, whenever you go to a public place, you should know where the exits are. 
It's just, it's a wise thing to do. How do I get out of this movie theater? How do I get out of this restaurant or whatever? It's just wise to know. So I want you to just look, you see where they are. It's, it's easy to understand. The fifth thing is I wanna encourage you to be vigilant when you're here. Even though we are a mishpacha, we're a family, keep your eyes open, look. If you see any unusual activity that causes concern, if you have like this instinctive or intuitive reaction, pay attention to it and um, don't just ignore it. And I also wanna remind parents, you're responsible for the safety and the whereabouts of your children when they're not in Shabbat school. When they're Shabbat school, we've got them. But when it's during the service and they're with you, they are your responsibility. When they're at the Oneg, they are your responsibility. You should have your eyes on them all the time. Now, let me get back to what I said at the beginning. This weekend, we want to begin a quick process of raising $1,200 in order to fund the extra cost for the security personnel for this whole month. We don't wanna do this over and over again. So I just wanna encourage you to think about participating in some way, large or small, over the next week so that we have all that money in advance. We have the cash on hand, of course, but this is an unanticipated expense that if multiplied over the course of a year or more, you know, is, is significant dollars and cents. And so each month we know Officers cost uh, 1000 to $1,200, depending on uh, the number of weekends. And if we're generous in, in the days to come, then um, it'll be an easy thing for us to take care of. If each of us does whatever we can, then it will make a difference. And you can give through all the normal means, online, by mail, in person, but I do ask that you designate your special offerings for this as safety and security offerings so that um, we're aware of this. So that's what our plan is. We're trying to take reasonable precautions. We're, we're not in uh, a heightened state of worry or anxiety, and nor do we think that there is any threat that has changed since a month ago and a year ago. But we need to be careful and we need to learn how to work together wisely and to take reasonable precautions. So, so that's an update on what our plan is. And I want you to be aware that we're working on this in a serious way so that we can do the wise things um, at this point. It's sort of like putting on your seatbelt when you get in the car. So with that in mind, let's close our service and thank the Lord for his mercies and his goodness to us. Lord, we thank you that you watch over us and you are the shield of Abraham and our shield too. And we look to you for safety. We look to you for protection. And we thank you that you give us wisdom about what to do in order to have greater safety and security here in our synagogue. And let's close with Aaron's blessing. If you're standing by yourself, just shuffle over so that you are not alone. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'nave lecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'nave lecha v'yisem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. 
the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.